stepping up and doing that. Uh, all right, well, I think we're ready to go, aren't we? So thanks, guys, for the clock. Are we good? BJ, you're, you're my boss, so you tell me what to do. All right, so here we go. Uh, go ahead and come up now, okay? And uh, this is a really cool thing that we're going to be doing here today. And, and I want to I start it off by this. Okay, so we are in our series. And I don't know if I've got controls or not. And make, this, make the, the one coming up as big as the one that's on. Thank you. Okay? Now, what Empowered is, is this idea that we're going through the book of Luke and we're seeing how Jesus raised up his disciples assuming that that's the same thing he wants to do in us because we're his disciples, right? So we're learning how he did it with his original disciples because we're his disciples and he's going to do the same thing with us. And so that's what we're learning. We've been going through this. And, and I want to say what we're going to be doing right now for just a second as the intro is a little, you know what the term inside baseball means? They use it in politics and other places. They use it for baseball too. But it means what's going on behind the scenes, What's sort of driving this, the thing and so on? And I've been trying to do something during this entire Empowered series, and that is I've been trying to sort of pull back the veil of my process so that you could see the Holy Spirit and how he moves, how he's directing on sermons and the things that we're doing and how we're doing them, that he's the one that's in control. Because I want you to see what that looks like so that I'm sure many of you already do things like this, but I just want you to see process, okay, as the Holy Spirit does what he does. So I, I need to explain this to you. This is a little complicated, but follow me here because it's an incredible story as to why Adam's sitting up here right now and what we're going to be doing today. Four weeks ago, I told you that we were done with a certain section, and I was headed into the next section, and it was, a, it was a kind of a small little scripture, and I didn't quite know what to do with it and everything else, and I had one little idea about it. There was, it wasn't really what the scripture was about, but it was about the Word, and I love the Word. And so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I don't know what I'll do. It kind of sound, doesn't feel, but, but I just, that's the best I had. And then I told you on the sermon that week that on Wednesday, after researching the word for a couple of days and what I might say or what God might have me say, I came to Wednesday, and when I went out for my prayer walk, God just said, that's not the sermon that you're going to do. Here's the one that you're going to do. And it was about sin cycle. And that just, that not only came out of what we'd been talking about, but that was an incredibly important sermon. And if you did not see it, I would highly encourage you to take a look at it because it's just super foundational to what God's doing in us. So I, I did that, and so I did that sermon, and then, as God would do it, as he leads, Serenity had written me an email, as I told you and explained to you, that Serenity had written me an email that I didn't even get. I just went, wow, that's an incredible sermon. We need to hear it. But when God changed my sermon to Sin Cycle, all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, Serenity's is like the perfect next sermon for us to do. So this is what we're going to do, and this is a, you know, God putting together a mini-series for us. So we did that. And then, uh, and by the way, listen to hers, because it was phenomenal. And then we come to Mother's Day last week, and that's sort of a one-off always, because trying to honor the women and mothers, and I hope it was good, and all that. And then I come to this week, and now, a month later, it's time for me to look at that passage again. And I'm going to it with the thought, well, I'm going to do the word thing because I've already done a couple days of research on it, and I love that, and, but I know it's not really what the Scripture's about. And I look at it, and all of a sudden, now watch. Okay, now you've got to pause, and then, you know, like in the TV shows where they go, whoop, and they back it up. Okay, we're doing a backup now, right? Four weeks ago, I thought I was doing that passage. Two weeks ago, in a way that I didn't know was connected at all, two weeks ago, I'm out on my walk on a Friday morning. And on my walk, all of a sudden, the Lord starts talking to me about Empowered and the series that we're doing. And I'm just kind of, I'm soaking in it because I just kind of feel like I'm just supposed to kind of rest in it for a moment. Just what God's been doing with Empowered and what it means and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, what he started doing was, is he started pointing something out to me about that we've been doing this for a year and a half. And at what point have you heard Empowered so much that you don't really hear it anymore. In other words, when we first started the Empowered series, the idea of the Holy Spirit moving through you and doing miracles was cool, right? I mean, how cool is that? Who wouldn't want to do that? 
But then God made it about so much more than miracles. He made it so much more about life and, and about how, what our walk is and all these deep things that he's been doing that are incredible. And you keep hearing empowered, and indeed what we're supposed to be doing is hearing what he's teaching us, just like the disciples. And then we're supposed to be like the disciples, go out and do it, right? And if we don't go out and do it, then hearing it and just, you know, all of a sudden, and what the Lord started speaking to me about was just this sense that do people, have people, are they actually doing empowered? Is that even in their hearts and minds to do it? Because having heard it so much, just the analogy would be a little bit like, this is our stop and pray signs. And we tell you, put them up on the board. And then and as soon as Joe gets some more done for me, then I'll have new ones for you in a couple of weeks. But we, say, we change the colors, and I tell you to change their location. Because you know what the brain does? If you, if you have that sitting in the same place for over two weeks, you do know your mind doesn't even see it anymore. You, the stuff that's, that's there all the time, the mind only picks up the stuff that's not always there. So you don't even see it. So I tell you, you've got to move it. You've got to change the color of it. You've got to change the shape of it. You've got to see what I mean. You've got to work the thing a little bit. And, and what I started realizing was is that the Empowered series was a little bit like this idea of really putting into action what the Lord was doing can get to be, a, after a year and a half, can get to be a little bit like, yeah, we know that and I've heard that, but that's just the stuff I, and now let's get on to the sermon. As if that was the important thing. When actually the important thing is trying. Actually putting it into practice. It doesn't really matter what I say. What really matters is, is what we do, right? That's the thing that's going to make a difference in our lives, in the world's lives, and so on, right? So this is what God says to me on Friday morning. Now watch. God is so amazing. So Adam on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday said, hey, I got a friend who's asked me to preach, and I would like to do a preach call with you. And I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to give you the sermon and have you critique it and give you some feedback like I do with all the speakers that speak here and so on. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. I love doing that. And so I said, let's set it up for my drive down on Friday afternoon to the men's meeting. So I'm driving down on the men's meeting, and lo and behold, what do you think the sermon is? That God has quickened to him from an empowered thing. Now, you're going to hear him talk about it in a second in a deeper way, but it's that point, what God has quickened him about, are we really doing, right? So now watch. When Adam told me that sermon, I went, wow, that's just what the Lord was talking to me about. I really need to have you speak it. And I, but I looked, and I looked at what the calendar was, and I couldn't get any peace with sticking it in there. I hadn't made any connection at all. But I went, finally I said to you, remember on the phone call, I said, you know, geez, I just can't find a time because I'd like to do this right away. It feels like we're supposed to do this right away. But I think I'm just going to, maybe it's going to be September, October, I guess. That's what I said. And on Monday, I opened back up to this verse that I'm thinking is going to be about the word. I haven't even thought about it. And guess what the major message of the verse is? Remember I told you, I looked at the verse, I couldn't find what was in it. I couldn't find what the heart of it was, so I was kind of pulling a side issue out of it. Well, the verse is about don't just be hearers, be doers. So at some point in time, you get the idea. <laughs> at some point in time, even really thick-headed people like me actually start understanding that maybe God's saying, hey, this is important. So I called, I prayed about it, and I said, what should I do? Should I have Adam preach? What should I do? And God said, no, I want you to preach with him. And I'm going to tell you something at the end of the sermon that makes this incredibly precious. But for right now, I just want us to, I want us to embrace the fact that God is actually the one who's leading us. We make our plans, but he directs our steps. And let me, let me add my paraphrase to that. If we will let him. I could have easily said, oh, I'm not going to switch my sermon on Wednesday. That's too late. <laughs> right? We could easily, and we do all the time. Ah, I'm not going to do that. For whatever reason. And then we miss this incredible orchestration of things that God is doing in the way that he's doing them. Okay? So this is just a... This is just a moment where I would, like to, I would like to propose to you that if God made such a big deal about this, maybe it's something we all ought to really pay attention to. <laughs> I mean, you already kind of know what the sermon is, but, I, but there's something in this that God is trying to get to our hearts on so that he can get it into our feet and our hands, to get it into our lives, because he's trying to do something in our life, okay? So I, this is a super important one and a fun one to do and almost a birthday present. So John Woodbury, that is phenomenal. John Woodbury is... He's already preached here. Uh, he's, John Woodbury is a pillar in this church 
an amazing man of God, wisdom in every single way. John, would you pray for the sermon? Lift up another church. We thank you, Lord, for your word to guide, direct, and help us on the path towards being transformed into your image. Josh, this morning, without knowing about this prayer, I was reading near the end, the last chapter of the gospel, that you left a record to your beloved disciple, John. You asked Peter three questions, the same question three times. Do you love me? And Peter answered him, of course I do. You're my friend. But Jesus, in his insightful way, you were instructing us, introducing a new concept of love. The Greeks, in their inestimable way of finding unique words, came up with agape to explain what you were really driving at. Peter, like all of us, didn't get it. So he had to ask it three times. And finally he said, okay, Peter, even if you don't get that, at least love me like a friend. But for each answer that Peter gave, he said, feed my sheep. Amen. He didn't say lead my sheep. He said feed my sheep. And we thank you, Lord, that we're here to be fed and to feed. Amen. And we rejoice over that. I would lift up the worship this morning at Woodenville Community Amen. United Methodist Church. Amen. That your word will make go forth through them as well. We thank you for all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Phenomenal, John. What a great passage to bring into this. All right. Now, here's our passage. Okay, and it, duh, that I didn't get this in the first place, but then his mother and his brothers come to him. Now remember, there's this flow, and what Jesus has done is he's done a whole lot of teaching, and the thing that we got up to was, in, the, in that very last thing before we get to this passage in the flow of Luke, the thing that we got up to was, is that Jesus is bringing home that they are, having seen what he does, they are to be instruments for doing what he's doing. That's what he's bringing up. And, and he brought that up already, and now he reinforces it in this deep way where he goes, and I didn't see this before. Then his mothers and his brothers come to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mothers and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answers, my mother and brothers are you, those who hear the word of God and do it. You, see, you hear it? See how, duh, I got it on Monday finally? Now, I remember, see, see, if I'd have preached about the Word of God, that would have been like only tangentially related to that passage, right? But when you come down to that the sermon is about hearing and doing the Word of God, you'd have to say, yeah, that's pretty much what the sermon ought to be about out of that passage, <laughs> right? Now, this comes from the thing that God was saying to me on Friday morning because the, the verse that he was that kept ringing through my mind, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And the key is, otherwise you're deceived. There's something going on. There's something that's a problem. It's not just that you're not in action. It's that it actually is causing a whole other problem. And we're going to look at that as we go on. But I just want to show you in the NLT. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. See that? So with that in mind, I want to take you now to Friday afternoon and Adam and I driving, and you know, I'm driving, and he's talking, and we're talking on the phone. And Adam is talking to me about the sermon. I want you to hear what he said after God had said this to me on Friday morning. Morning. Uh, so a few weeks ago, Kurt's preaching, and uh, he said this phrase, and I don't even remember what it was. And it was like God just kind of stopped everything around me and, and, and gave me this phrase. And, he, and I, I'm actually going to read it because I don't want to get it wrong. He said, it's, Adam, it's not that we don't already have the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's the lack of recognition of it inside of us. And so I pulled out my phone and started taking notes, and I apologize for tuning out again <laughs> on a sermon. I did it to Jesse, and now I've done it to Kurt, so I'll slowly just tune out of all your sermons. He told me, he said, I didn't hear another thing you said the whole <laughs> I didn't. Sermon. And so I started taking notes, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's important. I'm going to write this down. And, and then the next thing he dropped down in, into me uh, was a quote uh, by Brendan Manning. He was an author and, and I believe a priest and wrote some books. And it was this quote right here. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians 
who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny them by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So I was like, okay, different. Then he drops this verse into me. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to then learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I think it's the, uh, the NIV that says, um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and so I'm just taking all these notes, and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know what's going on. God, what's this through line? And so over the next days and weeks, we kind of began unpacking it together. And what I feel like God said to me was, okay, Adam, you've been in this series. I, I preached in Empowered, as you said, last August. Yeah. So we've been in this for quite a long time, right? But, Adam, what are you doing with it? What is Lake Sam doing with it? Are, are you empowered, Adam? Are you, are you doing things that you're hearing about on a Sunday morning? Uh, you know, Josh Morris preached a while ago about, you know, getting up and taking the boldness. Adam, have you gotten up on a Sunday morning? And then he said, okay. I was like, all right, so not doing that. Thanks, God. Appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was about to go buy some sackcloth and, and, and get some ashes and... But then he began to kind of challenge me. And I want to ask real quick, will you raise your hand if you've received uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this room? Wow, that's quite a lot of people. Um, as you guys know, the gifts, you know, there are many gifts, and, and we each um, get them differently. And I love this verse right here, 1 Corinthians. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Many gifts, right? Same Spirit. So the way that Kurt uh, acts, or... Uh, is gifted is different than the way I'm gifted for sure, right? <laughs> but maybe it's different than the way that Andrew is gifted or, you know, the way that Zach Rogers is gifted. But we need all of those gifts, right? Because if we only have Kurt's but not mine, we're missing something. I mean, that's the body of Christ. And so to me, I felt like God was saying, you know, it's, it's not that you don't have it, Adam. It's not that Andrew doesn't have it. It's not that Zach doesn't have it. But are you recognizing that you've been given it? Are you bringing that in with you on a Sunday morning? We should be bringing these in, right? First Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. I haven't been using them well, right? And, and it doesn't have to be this big thing. You know, I, I have opportunities to serve on the worship steering team here and the, and the youth steering team here. And I, those are great moments. And, but what about in the lobby when I'm talking with someone? Or what about on a Sunday morning when God, during worship, God has been speaking to a lot of people in this room. But I feel like just a few of us are getting up and saying something. Why, why am I not getting up and then? Why am I not leaning in? You remember when Justine talked about leaning in? Why am I not leaning in to hear that? Kurt? So you can hear after God's telling me, don't be hearers, but be doers, and there's a, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and then he starts telling me this sermon, and I'm going, well, that's interesting. <laughs> I want to take you to the bigger context of what that James says so we can get a deeper understanding of what he means when he says it's a problem when you do that. This is the message, and he says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're really anything but letting the word of God go in one ear and out the other. That's not a real listener, right? A listener is one who captures it. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror. They walk away. Two minutes later, they have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye, if you stick with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or a woman of action, that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Now I have to say, when we started Empowered, if I had to sum up what the goal was, that last line is it. That we will find delight and affirmation, that we will grow, that we will be discipled by actually starting to do the things that he wants to do through us. That's the whole point of Empowered, right? And it's right here. 
Now, I just want to take you a little further because if, you know, I get to talk to a lot of pastors, right? I'm going to be going to international convention here in a couple of weeks, and, and so I get to talk to a lot of pastors, and I got a lot of friends there, and I went to seminary, so I love a lot of guys from there, and I'm, I'm the divisional guy here, so I get to talk to those guys, and I'm part of the Eastside Pastors meeting. So I end up getting to talk to a lot of pastors from the area and around the country. And if I were to take a hundred of these guys and I were to line them up and I were to say to them, for, in your knowledge and your understanding of the people that you get to minister to, what's the key to opening the door of an anointed walk? What's the key to really becoming the fullness of what it is that God intended us to be? Here's what the vast majority of them say. And once you said this, almost every single one of them would say, yep, that's the one that people don't get. What do you think it is? It's knowing who we really are in Christ. See, when we were born again, that's real. That means we were in this kingdom of the world, and we were with an Adamic nature to go our own direction, but now we have been born again into another kingdom, and we have a new nature, and everything about us is truly new except for our thinkers. This, what Adam just said, being renewed. Not, we're not renewed. What we are is our feet are over here because this is the kingdom that we're in, but our head is still over here in the experience of what it is to be of this one, and we really don't know who we really are. Do you see it? Now, if I, now interestingly, I just want to show you some, the way that this passage is so important. His mother and his brothers come to him, and what does Jesus say his real family is? Who's his real family? They're the ones who do and hear his word. But you see, what he's, you see where he's going with it? He's saying, you don't, if I could paraphrase, or if I could, I could take and I could move it over to what I need it to say, that's not quite the way to say that. <laughs> but I'm not doing any violence to it because it's true. What Jesus is pointing out is, is he's saying something familial, right? He's saying, do you want to be part of my family? He's bringing it to a place of family. This thing about being hearers and not just, or being doers and not just hearers. Okay, something about family. So watch this now. I'm going to take a little license here. It is my birthday, so thank you for this. But I'm actually named, I could go into a whole lot of other relatives, but I'm going to try and keep it fairly succinct for you, even though I'd like to go on and on. H.D. <laughs> uh, Curtis. That guy is named H.T. Curtis. That is my mother's mother's father. So that's my great-grandfather. And his name is H.T. Curtis, and obviously I'm named after him. So that's my namesake. Now, H.T. is a very interesting guy to have in your past. He's a guy that I only found out a few years ago, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But, I, you know, he was, at one point in time, he went up to Alaska to pan for gold and make his fortune that way. And he, I actually read his diary, and he's writing in his diary about what he thinks to be the last words he'll ever say because the ship's sinking. But somehow they survived. He doesn't say in his diary, but he's writing down. He's saying, these will probably be my last words. The ship's sinking. The captain's telling us we're all going down, right? And they're in Alaskan waters, so how long are you going to last, right? Now, he's, he does other things, right? He starts this, he's, he invents a way of drying fruit that becomes huge, so big that the Queen of England will only eat his dried fruit. Okay, Del Monte wants to buy it, and the, he's just a very independent guy, and he's just saying, no, I want to run the business. And so Del Monte has a very suspicious fire that is, ends his business so that Del Monte can have it. And what does he do? Well, his brothers are out in Wyoming, and so he goes out in Wyoming, and this is what this plaque is about because he's famous in those parts and indeed in other places because he helped discover Hamilton Dome, which is a huge, huge, huge oil field. And he developed it and built a company out of it called Empire Oil Estate. And, and the whole nine yards. So this is a guy who accomplished a lot. This is a nice guy to have in your past, right? You know what I mean? I mean, I inherited money from him, okay? And this is a nice guy to have in your past, right? But, you know, it's not just him. I could go into my mother's parents who were phenomenal. I could go into all kinds of things, but because I bragged on my mother last week, let me just take my dad this time. That's my dad. Yeah. Now, that is quite a yeah, isn't it? I mean, wow, huh, you know? Guy in a uniform, even I'm kind of a, no, that's just bad. Okay, just a joke. All right, he is the youngest pilot in the Navy Air. 
He has a crew of 12. I posted that it was five. I got corrected on that. It was 12. He had a crew of 12. So he's the youngest guy in the Navy that pilots his own plane and has a crew of 12 guys. And, and it just excels at it. And then he goes back and he starts working in Wyoming at Empire. And this is the morning paper when John F. Kennedy got elected president. See him on the left there? And then Lyndon Johnson and then a couple of guys that are at the national level. And then you see November 60th, that's my dad. And he was the youngest guy ever elected to the Senate in Wyoming. Okay? Now, this is just the beginning of it. I mean, my dad ends up with so many accomplishments. This is him when he's a bigwig. He gets appointed to the best job in all of the state of Wyoming in the government, and he's doing things, and that's him pinning a, a medal on or a, a pin on somebody and so on. But that's the kind of guy... That's the kind of guy that my dad is. I'm telling you, my dad was a, was a pro-level golfer. My dad was such a good golfer that in the Navy, what they used to do is they would fly him all over the world to play with people like Anwar Sadat. And the reason why they would do that was is because he could lose to Anwar Sadat by one stroke without Anwar knowing it. See, he was such a good golfer that he could, he could play right to the level so that they thought there's this really good golfer, and I'm beating this really good golfer which the State Department thought that was a good idea to let them win. And I would have to say, yes, that's a good idea. And Dad's the kind of guy, but he was, now you have to understand something. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I found out things like he was a Golden Glove boxer, a champion Golden Glove boxer, that he was a ping pong player extraordinaire, that he was a, a bowler extraordinaire, he played saxophone in a jazz band extraordinaire. Everything he did has extraordinaire behind it. Because everything he did is like Forrest Gump, only he's smart, you know. I mean, he just excels at everything he does, you know? <laughs> I just called my dad Forrest Gump. Love you, Dad. <laughs> but what I want to tell you is, is that, and again, I could go into my mom's side, and the stories could go on and on forever, but here's what I want to make clear. My parents, at one point in time, they were kids in the Depression. And then Northern California, where they both lived, Bay Area, started getting really prosperous again. And both of their families did very well. And so they did very well, and they watched something happen with their friends. They watched siblings no longer talk to each other over money. They'd get in a dispute about property or money of some kind, and they would quit talking to each other. They watched people have to be something because of what the family was, that was a bad fit for the kid and the way that it chafed the kid and really ruined him. They watched other kids that didn't have any reason to be full of themselves, but be full of themselves simply because of who they were by birth. And so my parents, when they went to Wyoming from the Bay Area, part of going to Wyoming was, we are not going to raise our children with any of this. Now, it was a little hard because this, the, the company that, that kept the town open was our company. So it was a little difficult to do that all the way. But the fact is, is that I, they never told us anything about anything. And they didn't tell us about H.D. Curtis. They didn't tell us about what Dad did. They didn't tell us anything about anything. And the reason why was because they said, we want you kids to grow up without all of that burden. That's how they thought of it, was, was that there's a burden there, that there's a problem there, that there's an issue there, and we don't want that to happen to you. And so they never, I never grew up with any sense that I was any more special except for this weird thing about a company that nobody would talk about. You get it? Now, that's how they brought me up. Now, I want to contrast that with my wife, Julie. Okay? And I want to just go back into her history, and I want to tell you, again, we could go on both sides and find all kinds of things, but this is a guy named Orville Pierce, and that would be Julie's mother's dad. Okay? She was a Pierce. And that's Orville Pierce. And Orville Pierce is a pretty famous guy in some circles, in fairly, well, this is, this is them pulling a wagon at the, I think this is one in Milwaukee, an eight-horse hitch. You know, like the Budweiser Clydesdales? Before there were Budweiser Clydesdales, these guys were running these big circuit wagon, wagons, eight-horse hitch and so on. Orville Pierce became the largest draft horse breeder in the country. And the Amish used them all the time, but loggers used them. There was all kinds of industrial. Farmers still used them for all kinds of stuff. There was, this was at a time when that was a big deal. And I want, I want to tell you what a big deal it was. To this day... If I go to a state, if I go to a fair anywhere, no matter how big it is, if there's Belgians at, this, at the fair, which there always are, because they're the preferred draft horse. Clydesdales are a little too prissy. Okay, Clydesdales are real workhorses, okay? And if you go to a fair, 
Julie will walk up to the people that have the Clydesdale and just say, my name is Julie Wright Brunk, and I'm the granddaughter of Orville Pierce. And about half the time, what the people will do is, you're Julie, I remember you. And they'll tell her some story about when she was a little kid, because they'd met her when they went and bought draft horses from her. Or they'll say, I know Orville, and they'll start telling stories about Orville, because Orville was a character. Right? So that's a pretty good guy to have in your past, right? Pretty good guy for lineage. But it doesn't just stop there. Julie's dad. Julie's dad, this is Marion, and Julie's dad was in a family that was very poor. Uh, they were farmers, and they were, it was tough to make a living. They didn't have their own land, and so they had to rent. And Marion, this kind of guy that he is, Marion graduated high school two years early at the top of his class. <laughs> Okay, so he was headed to college to make good, and he certainly would have made very, very well whatever it is he put his mind to. He's a very smart, very disciplined, an unbelievable man. And in fact, you can't keep a good guy down because what his dad did was is his dad said, I just can't have you go to college. I'll go broke. If you're not here farming with me, I cannot survive. I need you to stay with me. And Marion's the kind of guy who would say, okay, I'll stay. And he stayed and over the years became the second largest private farmer in all of the state of Iowa for many, many years. So it, he accomplished huge things there. He's the kind of guy who, who uh, built, uh, he, he bought some land just right on the edge of town and then built a community so that all the friends and all the people that were having kids could all buy an affordable home and they could live together in the same community and raise their kids together as a tribe, really. I mean, it was, I, in today's parlance, it would be called a gang, okay? And it was a gang, right, Julie? Okay? So, but, but they, they raised each other's kids. It was a community. But he also bought a piece of land just over the hill, knowing that that's where the school should go, and this town wasn't even thinking about it. And when they did think about it, he didn't sell it at a profit or anything. Basically, I don't know if he gave it to them, but he, he didn't make out on it. He was, that wasn't his goal. His goal was, this land needs to be where the school is for the town. That's the kind of guy he is. He's the kind of guy who established the old folks' home so that as people aged, they didn't have to move out of this small community. They could stay in the community with their family. And so he built the, home, the, the, the old folks' home and so on. You get the kind of guy that he is? Now, you could go to Julie's mom, who is, uh, I, literally, you don't have enough time to hear the stories about Julie's mom, okay? But, but what I want you to see is, now, what, here's how Julie's parents raised her, the exact opposite of me. What Julie's parents did was is they said, you come from people. Live up to it. Now, it wasn't, they didn't mean that onerously and burdensomely. What they meant that was is there are people that have gone before you and they have sacrificed and they have worked hard and they have accomplished things and they make a difference in the world and that's who you're to be. You don't get to just be an idiot. You don't get to just go off and do what you want to do. You need to make something of yourself. You need to be something. And I'm telling you right now, Julie will tell you, those of you who know Julie know that there's this undergirding confidence in her, that there's a thing that makes her stand taller and hold her head up so that she's not slumped. It makes her hold her head up and it makes her feel a certain way. And what that is was is she was taught from a very early age that you come from people and that it's important for you to be faithful to that, for you to be true to that, for you to, you know, earn it in a sense. See what I mean? Be, be carry on the line. See what I mean? Now, I want to make something clear. The way that my parents raised me, the way that her parents, there's no, that nobody could tell you what was better and what was worse because the truth is, in a fallen world where all of us are broken, it depends on the parents. It depends on the personality of the kid. In the same family, you can do the same thing, and it'll work for a couple and not work for the other couple, right? In a broken world, it's just very hard to tailor what sort of, what sort of burden am I to place on you that'll help you stand taller, and what sort of burden do I place on you that makes you bend over, that makes you bow down and too much weight on your shoulders. You see what I'm saying? So there's no way in the world to say that it's better to raise your kids in the light of who's come before or that it's worse to raise your kids in that light. But here's the reason why I tell this entire story. By the way, just one more quick picture I just got to show you about Marion. This is when he's younger, but look at the babe next to him. Okay? But that's Marion, and he was very involved in the draft horses too. People know him too. He's famous in those circles too. But anyway, back to the point here. 
my mother and my brothers. Who are my mothers? Who's my family, says Jesus? Listen to what he's saying. Who's my family? It's you. It's the ones who have been made new. Now, in a fallen world, it's tough to know whether that's going to work for a kid or not work for a kid. But in a redeemed world, here's what the author of Hebrews tells us. We live in the light of a great cloud of witnesses. There are those who have come before who the world was not worthy of, says the author of Hebrews. And they are the ones who have bought what you now have. The rights that you have, the responsibilities that you have, the everything that you have, these are the ones who have come before. In, in, to, to use this idea of legacy and families and so on, on the East Coast there's this concept that comes from Europe called noblesse oblige. And I probably mispronounced it, but somebody who pronounced it better tell me later. Okay, but noblesse oblige, and it means noble obligation. And what it means is there's a family where people did stuff. They made a difference in the world and they became important either financially or in some other way. And the kids that had been born into that had a noble obligation to those who had come before in order to further this important thing that these people had done that was good for the world, good for the community, good for other people. You have an obligation to pour back. And this is a Protestant work ethic thing. And you'll find this, that sense of people, even to this day, in rich families, particularly in the East, they will raise their kids with a, you have a responsibility whether you like it or not. And again, some kids just totally crumble under the pressure of that. And some kids really rise up to it and really make a big difference in the world. But here's my point. You have a noble obligation to those who have come before. And while you're not capable of doing this in your own because you are fallible, God has made you new. He's made you a new being. And what we do is we keep thinking, no, I'm just the failure. No, I'm just the guy here. No, my family isn't anything. No, I'm not anything and everything else. And what God is doing is he is saying, you are a Christian. You know what a Christian means? It means a Christian. In fact, what it means is a Christian. When you say, I'm Kurt Brunk, a Christian, what you are saying is, I take on the name of Christ and I live in the full weight and glory of he who has come before me in order to make this possible for me. Jesus Christ, who has sacrificed that I, no matter what family I come from, that I am born again into a family that has a noble obligation, that has responsibilities, that has rights, that when you understand who you really are in him, you stand taller. You don't put your nose up to look down it. You put your face up to look around and see what's happening in the world. All around the world right now, people will still tell you that it doesn't matter if you dress like the culture or not, everybody around the world can tell who an American is. How? How they walk. They say you Ameri all the rest of the world walks with the burden and they walk to make themselves smaller. Because in their cultures where it's dangerous, you don't want to stand out. And, and, and Americans, they walk as if there's something that they have. Now, they can use that in an inappropriate fashion. I'm better than you. And that's just despicable, right? But what it is, is it's walking, it's standing taller. It's keeping your face up. It's looking at what needs to be done and then being the person who does it. This is who we are. When we are Christ's, that's what it means to carry his name. There is this great cloud of witness. There is this thing that God has done, and he wants us to walk in it in glory. He wants us to know, though the head be over here, it needs to be brought over here to understand the fullness of what you have been given in Christ because it is better than any oil field. It is better than any famous person. It is better than anything that has ever been in the world by not just degrees but kind. The person that God has made you to be. The person that Jesus Christ is. And that's whose child you are. When we think about this, we think of ourselves as I'm Christ's ambassador. The person who is not in the family never carries themselves the same way as the person in the family, right? Now again, they can do it inappropriately in a fallen world. But the person that carries themselves well because they know whose child I am. 
and they know what responsibilities I have, and they know what opportunities I have been given. And so they rise up into the fullness of what they have been given in Christ, and they become the fullness of who Christ has made them to be. That is the person that God wants us all to be and to know that we are. And until we know that, it's very hard for us to become that when we're still stuck over here, isn't it? I'm just a failure. I'm just nothing. Isn't that right? Now, with that in mind, what we're doing right now is, is that we're trying to get us to the place to where we can say, you know what, I really want to know how to walk in that. Not in this anymore. I want to learn what it is to walk in that. And so we're going to start doing that. And again, this is part of Adam's sermon. How do I, what? <laughs> I mean, he's preached right there. Come on. So, um, whew. so I'm trying to absorb all that. It's easy when you're out there, right? Now you, have to, you don't have to talk after that. So I staff, a, I staff our district camp every summer. I've been doing it for nine or ten years, and I love it. I've gotten to do a, you know, everything that there is. Last year I was a camp pastor, and I mean, that was an honor in speaking to the leaders and and there's just something about being at camp. I was telling Kurt, I don't know what it is, but it, it, whether it's 250 kids that are just excited to be there, or most of them are, some get, you know, their parents make them go, but most of them are excited to be there, and the worship times are incredible because they're pursuing God, and, you know, the altar times are just out of this world, and, you know, the leaders go up and we pray for them, and, and just, the, you know, the prophecies that come out, the healings that come out, right? And I love doing that. And a couple years ago, um, I was praying over some students. We were having a great time at, at one of the camps. I think it was high school, and as I'm praying over it, I just felt God say, Adam, go pray for Matt. Stop right now and go pray for Matt. Now, Matt is a great friend of mine. He's a youth, former youth pastor in the district now. He's just uh, a licensed pastor. And uh, I just put him kind of up there. You know, there's, there's these people you kind of put up there, like Kurt. You put Kurt up there, right? Like, I just look at him. I look up to him spiritually. And just the way Matt really hears from God, he's probably one of the most prophetic people I've ever worked with. Um, just the way that he presses in and hears. And so I kind of put Matt on a pedestal, which maybe is wrong. But so God says, go pray for Matt. And I was like, I'm not going to pray for Matt. That's ridiculous. And so I kept praying over the student. And uh, I finished with that student. And as soon as the student walked away, you know, there's always kind of a bunch, and we just stand at the front. God said, Adam, now go pray for Matt. And I was like, God, I'm not going to go pray for Matt. He's fine. It's Matt Ramirez. He's fine. And so another student came up. And what was funny is, I was having a hard time praying for this student. You know, like I'd been moving and moving and moving and working, and God was moving through me. And then the student came up, and I was like, uh, you're kind of getting a B prayer right now. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and because God was, like, kind of tugging on me. It's almost like, like he was like, like, go pray for Matt. And so I finished with the student, and it was weird. And, and, like, finally God was like, Adam, go find Matt Ramirez and pray for him right now. And I was like, fine, okay. And so I grabbed a leader friend of mine. And I was like, we got to find Matt. I got to pray. And he's like, for what? And I was like, I don't know. And so, unbeknownst to me, Matt was out of the chapel, outside of the chapel, just kind of pacing around, and he was just battling through something. And so I walked out there, I was like, hey, Matt, uh, God just told me I'm supposed to pray for you. I don't really know what it was. And Matt almost immediately hit his knees. And so I laid my hands on him, we laid our hands on him, and I opened my mouth and started weeping. And for the next couple minutes, God just said a bunch of stuff out of my mouth. And I don't know what it was to stay, and I don't really care. I don't need to know because it was for Matt. And that created a moment for us right there. I, I feel like it actually cemented our friendship because Matt had the Holy Spirit inside of him, but he needed my gifting at that moment. And so as I was processing this, this, these thoughts and these notes, it got me thinking, why am I able to do that at camp? Why is it so easy for me? Why is it so free? What is it about that environment that allows me to hear from God and prophesy over kids and and pray over it, like in a way I've never done before, but not in my own family. I mean, you guys are my family here. Why is it so hard? Why can't I do that for my personal family? Why can't I do that at my job? Why can't I do that in my community? You know, I think going back to Brennan, Brennan was referring, in my opinion, to, you know, a life of sin, you know, where we come to church and then we go out and shoot people or, or have these sinful natures, right? But I think... Sorry, that was extreme, Zach. I apologize. I know that. I do. I got don't. you. I knew that was going to get Zach. But if I have these moments, if God speaks to me at this church or speaks to me at my job or speaks to me when I'm out doing something and I don't take advantage of that, 
am I part of the statistic he's referring to in a way? Right? Am I conforming? Am I doing this that Kurt's talking about? Because I'm not, why? Why? You should be the safest group, right? I should be able to come before you, pray for one of you, and you have you go, that was way off base, but I still love you, right? <laughs> because that's what a family does. So why aren't I doing it here? It's, you know, and I guess I feel like, and I told Kurt I didn't want to say it like this to you guys, but I kind of feel like God's kind of giving me a swift kick, you know, and saying, Adam, wake up. Wake up. A life that grabs a hold of this, that grabs a hold of not doing this, but stepping over and carrying that name and leaning in, I think looks like this. Oh, thanks, Kurt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. His mighty power at work within us. And I love that. Infinitely more than we can ask or think. Church, if we all got that, what would that look like here? If we all got that on a Sunday morning, if we couldn't finish, if Kurt couldn't preach because there was just word after word after word after word during worship, the walls of this church could not contain it. It couldn't. It would spill out into our families, into our jobs, in our community, into the surrounding area, into the world. It doesn't have to just be in our little bubbles. It doesn't have to be in my camp bubble. But it could be here, amen? We have to grab a hold of that. We have to understand infinitely more than we might ask or think. And, and that excites me. It really does. And as I was prepping this, um, we were working on the next encounter. You know, those of you who have been, and, and we realized that we had to move it up, and so I was kind of trying to do encounter and write this. And then encounters are worship night. Oh, sorry, encounters are worship night, for those who haven't been. And I felt like God kind of sidebarred me on encounter, and he said, Adam, I'm going to, and he gave me a word for encounter, and that's what I want to share. It's release. Because I feel like God said, Adam, about encounter, there's going to be a release. I'm going to release people to be empowered. Now, that's June 8th. I hope it doesn't take three weeks for a lot of us. I hope it happens today, tomorrow. But if not, I want to encourage you guys right now, come to Encounter. Because I think there's going to be a release of his spirit. And, a, and I hope it's not only, I hope it's with me too. Like, I'd love it. I'd love to, to not be the person that sits in the back and talk. Like, I'm not at camp, so I can't give a word, God. But I want to be empowered. I want to be released to live this verse, to live this verse with my family, who's all doing the same thing. So, here's why this sermon at this moment. Next week is Memorial Day. Julie and I have lived in other parts of the country where seasons are a five degrees change in temperature. And the difference between winter and spring and summer is just not much, right? Up here in the Northwest, that's not true. Up here in the Northwest, when we get done with winter, and it gets to Memorial Day, which is the official day of summer, even though we are not still kids, every one of us was a kid, and we are still partly kids, and it feels like this, right? It is schools out for summer, right? I mean, that is still the spirit of it, right? I mean, what we want to do is go and play, and we want to go into the park, and we want to have fun with our friends, and we want to go sit on a deck somewhere, and we want to spend some time with our friends, and if we can find a boat somewhere, we want to go hang out on a boat, right? I mean, here's what we are not thinking. Boy, I just can't wait to learn how to do Empowered more. Here's what we are thinking. Next fall, I'm good for Empowered again. Okay, but leave me alone for the summer because I don't want to do anything. And I mean, we stay so far away from doing anything. But here's the thing. Actually, I want to tell you, when God was talking to me on that Friday morning, he told me, he said, summer's coming up. And you need to talk about this before summer. Because here's the point. If we think of this thing about being empowered as something different than who we are, the natural thing that we are, the fullness of who we are, then we make it out to be something weird. When the people are in the park and we're walking up, it's like here's what nobody ever did with Jesus. The disciples weren't hanging out in the park, finally getting a day off, and here comes Jesus and they go, oh man, Jesus is going to come, now we're going to have to do this ministry stuff again. <laughs> Never happened, right? Never happened. What did happen? 
The thing that we don't, we have to read between the lines. By the way, a little prize, a Starbucks card for the person that can find me the verse. Yeah, I tried to find it quite a bit yesterday. But there's a verse in one of the Gospels that talks about how Jesus wasn't with his disciples during the middle of his ministry for a period of months. So it would be the first person that gets it to me. And yes, you have to wait until the end of this sermon at least. Okay, so don't call it out. It's after the Unless sermon's Unless God over. starts speaking to you. I mean, he does that. So. <laughs> That's true. Okay, but, but, but here's my point. Okay? What I feel like God wants to say to us is moving in these things of empowerment is natural. Here's the thing about Jesus. So he goes and he does this speech and all, all, everybody gets healed and everything happens and that's amazing. But then what happens between that and the next time that happens? What happens? He hangs out with them. He hangs out with the disciples. When the disciples think about Jesus, yes, they know that he's Lord and they know that he's God. They eventually come to understand that too. But they know that there's something special about him. But here's the part that blows them away, I think. That he's a friend. What does this, you know, he does this whole incredible ministry thing. And then he wants to hang out with me? That doesn't make any sense. Surely there's some other religious people that he can go hang out with and have more fun. Or something, Right? But it's not just me that he ends up hanging out with. You do remember, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend. He's hanging out with. He's natural. It is normal. It is the normal Christian life for us to know the family that we're from and not lord it over people. But never forget it either. Always be ready in season and out for that moment where God would want to do something incredibly special. You may be at the park. You may be at something. You may be doing something. And all of a sudden, the Lord quickens you to something. And you grab that person and you take them. And you go and pray for them. And the Lord speaks a word that changes their life. And then you go back and just have fun. You see what I mean? Just enjoy your life. Do whatever he tells you to do. I, I told you this inside baseball stuff about my process because I want you to see that it happens while life is happening. You know the, the old saying, right? Life is what happens when you're busy making plans to do something else. I want to say ministry is what happens. Following the Holy Spirit is what happens when we're busy making some other plan for ourselves. And if we will just understand that that's where the real stuff is, then it's in the normal, in the natural, in the completely wonderful. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus that is not true even of the miraculous people that we see so much in our day and age. Nobody thought he was kooky. At one point they thought he was crazy. You know who it was? It was his family and that story that we're telling that we're using today, because they thought he was so busy that he must be losing his mind. And he pointed out something. He said, you know, they're being used, and it's not a good thing, but I want to make something clear about who my family is. See what I mean? What Jesus was doing all the time was saying, this stuff of life is so rich. There are seasons of green pastures and still waters, and it's called summer, and enjoy the heck out of it. Enjoy it to its maximum. And here's how you enjoy it to its maximum. If God should move on you to do something in terms of ministry, be the person that you are. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are. And just move out of that in the most natural, normal, you know, incredible way. When you move naturally, people see God. When God moves through you, in natural ways. People don't see you, they see God. When you puff it all up with all the religious stuff we can do with it, then they see you. And they think you're weird. Right? But when you do the things that God wants to do, they're not weird, they're wonderful. They change our lives in ways that make us cry, that make us weep, and that make us rejoice. Now, I just want to tell you that that's the sermon right there, and that's everything. And Adam and I have talked about all of this. But there's one little thing that I just want to say at the end of this sermon, and it's only going to take me one second. But I just want to tell you that this sermon right now with Adam is a bit of a birthday present to me from the Lord. And I want to explain why. I hope I can get through this. Those of us who know Adam and I for a long time and since the beginning 
know that, and with my apologies, I say this, and for reasons that are completely unimportant anymore, but Adam and I did not have the best beginning of a relationship. We just didn't. There was a thing there, and part of it was me, and part of it was him, and people have worked with him, and people have worked with me. And the fact of the matter was is that there was this thing there. And then, I, and then he, just, he just did what he does. He was just faithful. And he was faithful about all the things he did around here until finally I went, wow, you know, he's the person God wants us to put on staff. And we put him on staff. And then it was, you know, and then it was something else. That he, and, but then he did youth steering team, and he did worship steering team, and he developed this encounter. And those of you who were around when encounter was developing, you remember what I said is I said, Adam has earned the right to do encounter the way God has laid it on his heart so it's hands off from everybody else. You, you need to help and support the vision that God has given him. And if he bears witness to something that you're saying, fine, but it's his decision. It's he's the anointed head of this particular thing, and we need to let him do that. Now, I want to tell you something. When was the last time you saw me up here co-preaching with somebody? Have I done it in 16 years? I don't think I have, have I? In my life, I don't remember another time of ever doing it. And maybe a handful of times I have, but I just don't even remember, and I'm just saying maybe. But I want you to understand something about me and why this is a birthday present to me. There's nothing I care about more than that we become one with one another the way that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one. And I just want to tell you, as I pursued the things of the Lord and with humility and trying to grow and trying to learn, and as Adam pursued the things of the Lord and with humility and trying to grow and so on, this is what God does. That's why this is a birthday present to me. Because here's somebody with whom I struggled at one point in time. And when God told me on Monday, when God told me on Monday that I was to preach it with him, my heart leapt. And it's been pretty good. But do you understand? Man, if we'll let God be God in our lives, in the summer too, it's the best thing ever. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, you do miracles. And you do miracles that are grand and obvious to all. And you do miracles that are known to those who have done them in only. You do miracles. You are changing and transforming our lives at every moment in every way in the most remarkable ways. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you. And as we next week hit Memorial Day and hit the fun of summer, we, will make, we make a, a thing in our heart, which is we want to be the people. We want to be in the family. We want to understand who we are. And we want to naturally and normally and gracefully and wonderfully, we want to anointedly be yours, that you are moving through in the most intimate ways changing sermons and changing directions and changing hearts to line us all up with you in the most glorious ways. We make our plans, you direct our steps. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you in thanksgiving for the glorious things that you do. Just reach down and pick up that cup that's in front of you and let's seal this and thank you for doing this. Come and stand up with me and do this with me. We take and we, we bring up this cup in which is this broken body, this body, this life that we have for so many reasons and in so many ways broken. And just as people are doing, just take your finger and go down in there. We recognize that we broke our lives. But here's what we want to say, God. Thank you for Jesus on the cross who takes our brokenness and by his stripes takes upon himself all that was due us all of the mess-ups, and comes and then miraculously makes us whole. He was broken that I might be whole. He was afflicted that I might be healed. You did what you did precisely so that an Adam and I could become the oneness in love and respect that you and only you can bring. So in Jesus' most incredible name, with that healing in our minds and our hearts, with what it is to be Christ's, we lift up this cup and say, thank you, God. 
Take together, would you please? And now in Jesus' most incredible name, God, we lift up this cup in which is the life, the incredible life, the one of oneness, the one of bringing all people together in the way that only you can. And we just say thank you, God, that this life that you have for us is so much better than the ones that we've even begun to think or imagine, just as Adam pointed out. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is that life that you've already purchased for us. We have but to walk into it. And so we take together to say, I want to walk in that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Love you, Adam. Love you.